The Impeachment Witch Hunt with Greg Jarrett. It's tempting to describe the recent impeachment hearing before the House Judiciary Committee as a farce. But you know what? It's worse than that. It made a travesty of the concept of fairness. With Chairman Jerry Nadler at the helm, there was no real chance that President Trump would be treated equitably. After all, Nadler's Confederate chairman of the House Intel Committee, Adam Schiff, had already obliterated any semblance of due process in impeachment hearings before his committee. The Schiff hearings were a lollapalooza of hearsay, opinion, and rank speculation. There was no reason to believe that Nadler's hearing would be anything less than a theater of the absurd, and it was. Sure enough, Nadler assembled a team of three liberal law professors who were already on record as antagonistic to President Trump. During their day-long testimony, the hostility was palpable. There was no effort to hide the relentless Democratic agenda to remove Trump from office by hell or high water. And obsessions are like that. They know no bounds. They defy all sensibility. Republicans were given just one witness to call. Fortunately, his intelligence and eloquence offered a persuasive counterbalance to the liberal profs. For one day at least, numerical superiority did not prevail. So here's a summary of what unfolded. Harvard Law Professor Noah Feldman. He had already prejudged Trump's guilt on an impeachable offense when he penned a column two months ago declaring that Trump had committed an unconstitutional quid pro quo when he asked the Ukrainian President Zelensky to look into the conduct of former Vice President Joe Biden. Now, this, of course, conveniently ignored the fact that no evidence of a quid pro quo exists anywhere in the record of the Trump-Zelensky telephone call. In his opening statement, Feldman stated with absolute certainty he knew President Trump was acting for personal gain, as if he had magically divined Trump's intent. Yet Feldman gave no consideration to the president's stated explanation that Trump wanted to know whether a U.S. public office holder, Biden, might have committed a corrupt act. Does this mean that it's somehow corrupt for a president to ask about corruption? Well, the good professor didn't say. Feldman's bias should come as no surprise to anybody who has followed all of his Twitter rants against the president. You may recall that two months into office, Trump publicly questioned whether intelligence agencies might have wiretapped him, and he tweeted it out. That prompted the professor, Feldman, to tweet, This is the risk of impeachment. I mean, truly, you have to laugh at such a ludicrous claim. Feldman seems to see the impeachment boogeyman behind everything Trump does. At one point, he penned a pulpy piece of comedy that contended that Trump should be removed from office for exercising his pardon power, constitutionally authorized, when he pardoned Sheriff Joe Arpaio in Arizona. Feldman condemned that pardon as, quote, an abuse of power and an impeachable offense. So think about this. Apparently it's okay for President Bill Clinton to pardon his brother, but it's an impeachable offense when Trump pardons a sheriff out in Arizona because, you know, he's a Republican. 
No serious person gave Feldman's argument any credence, not even rabid Democrats in Congress. That brings us to Stanford University law professor Pamela Carlin, a prodigious Trump hater. She vented her visceral anger from the outset of the hearing by claiming she was insulted at a Republican member's suggestion that the professors hadn't had sufficient time to digest all of the evidence, especially Adam Schiff's 300-page report that was released the night before. Everything I know about our Constitution and its values and my review of the evidentiary record, and here, Mr. Collins, I would like to say to you, sir, that I read transcripts of every one of the witnesses who appeared in the live hearing because I would not speak about these things without reviewing the facts. So I'm insulted by the suggestion that as a law professor, I don't care about those facts. After scolding Representative Doug Collins, Carlin's officious manner persisted all day long. She seemed to see that the mere mention of Donald Trump. In fact, at one point, she resurrected an old statement he made in jest during the 2016 campaign as if it was a death penalty crime. Carlin asserted without any evidence that Trump had, quote, demanded foreign involvement in our upcoming election. How in the world could she know that? She presumed a motive and ascribed it to the president. Nowhere in the transcript of the Trump-Zelensky call is there a demand for anything. Zelensky has repeatedly stated no demand was ever made of him, and there's no mention of the 2020 U.S. presidential election. To the contrary, read the transcript. Trump seems interested in centering on Joe Biden's potential wrongdoing as vice president when he demanded the firing of a prosecutor who just happened to be investigating the Ukrainian natural gas company that was paying his son, Hunter Biden, an exorbitant amount of money every month to serve on its board. Carlin eventually lost all credibility during the hearing when she took a boorish stab at President Trump's teenage son. So kings could do no wrong because the king's word was law. And contrary to what uh, President Trump has said, Article 2 does not give him the power to do anything he wants. And I'll just give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king, which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son baron, he can't make him a baron. It was obvious that the Stanford professor is a decided partisan who took aim at Trump before he ever assumed the presidency. At one point, she compared the president-elect to his predecessors. Quote, I can't think of one of them who had such across-the-board combination of ignorance, indifference, and defiance, she said. Carlin also signed an open letter predicting that Trump would fail to take his constitutional oath seriously. She urged him to reverse all of his positions on social issues like immigration, and abortion. Within months of Trump being sworn in, Carlin told the web publication Salon, quote, if we had a series of presidents like Trump, we wouldn't have a United States of America. This proves that Carlin wears her disdain of Trump on her sleeves, and it showed during Wednesday's hearing. Then there was University of North Carolina law professor Michael Gerhardt. Well, Gerhard won the Exaggeration of the Day Award when he declared, If Congress fails to impeach here, then the impeachment process has lost all meaning. 
Kerhart accused Trump of assaulting the Constitution. He compared him to a monarch, resurrecting the almost forgotten Mueller report as evidence somehow. In Gerhardt's judgment, Trump is Richard Nixon in disguise, only worse. Gerhardt careened from one point to another as he stumbled and stammered through a statement that he seemed not to have read. He denounced Trump's exercise of a legally recognized executive privilege as obstruction of Congress, ignoring the fact that past presidents, including Barack Obama, had done the same thing in response to congressional subpoenas. The testimony of Gerhardt was predictable, if not dull. We knew what he was going to say. He had authored a column last month condemning Trump for trashing the Constitution. In an interview, he accused the president of having dismissed the rule of law as irrelevant in his life. Nuff said. Finally, George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley was called as the only Republican witness. Despite the stacked deck against him, he came across as the most earnest and objective witness among the four professors. Turley began by making it clear he is not a partisan. I'm not a supporter of President Trump. I voted against him. Turley added that, quote, one can oppose President Trump's policies or actions, but still conclude that the current legal case for impeachment is not just woefully inadequate, but in some respects dangerous as the basis for the impeachment of an American president. Turley warned that Congress would further divide and alienate the nation by pursuing impeachment without merit. My personal views of President Trump are as irrelevant to my impeachment testimony as they should be to your impeachment vote. President Trump will not be our last president. And what we leave in the wake of this scandal will shape our democracy for generations to come. Turley cautioned that an expedited impeachment without clear and convincing evidence, especially on the question of obstruction, would be an abuse of power by Congress. If you impeach a president, if you make a high crime and misdemeanor out of going to the courts, it is an abuse of power. It's your abuse of power. You're doing precisely what you're criticizing the president for doing. The professor called the current effort to impeach Trump slipshod and driven by rage instead of reason. You need to stick the landing on the quid pro quo. You need to get the evidence to support it. It might be out there. I don't know. But it's not in this record. I agree with my colleagues. We've all read the record. And I just come to a different conclusion. I don't see proof of a quid pro quo no matter what my presumptions, assumptions, or bias might be. Impeachment must be based on proof, not presumptions, Turley observed. I don't see proof of a quid pro quo. He argued that there is a, quote, paucity of evidence and an abundance of anger driving Democrats. He criticized them for rushing the process based on what he called wafer-thin evidence. In both his written statement and his oral testimony, Turley took apart all the allegations leveled against Trump, bribery, extortion, obstruction, and even campaign finance violations. He explained in detail why they did not apply to the known facts. Turley then offered his own impassioned analysis of how we got here. We are living in the very period described 
by Alexander Hamilton, a period of agitated passions. I get it. You're mad. The president's mad. My Republican friends are mad. My Democratic friends are mad. My wife is mad. My kids are mad. Even my dog seems mad. And Loon is a golden doodle, and, and they don't get mad. So we're all mad. Where has that taken us? Will a slipshod impeachment make us less mad? This was the clearest explanation yet for how the current impeachment hysteria has raged out of control. Sadly, it will make no difference. Democrats are determined beyond reason to impeach President Trump. Neither logic nor the law seem to matter. Be sure to pick up my latest book called Witch Hunt, the story of the greatest mass delusion in American political history. I'm Greg Jarrett. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.